Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for tonight's program. You get the picture. This, this guy's a confident, brash young man. Now I want you to just dwell on that for a moment because we're going to get an insight into this guy in a moment where he actually says, all the while I was saying that to people, on the inside I was not feeling it. And I think there are people here, and on the outside you look okay. In fact, most of you look really nice, really pleasant people. But some of you are feeling empty. You have questions that nag you, like, what's this all about? Where, where am I going? What am I doing this for? And these questions nag at the core of your soul. Have you ever met someone who's really religious? The New Testament of the Bible describes one such bloke, and his name was Saul. Interestingly, he was the most religious, but the least godly. He was religious, all right, and passionate about killing Christians. What? How did the man who was known by his Hebrew name Saul, who was so determined to destroy Christianity, become known by his Greek name Paul, Christianity's greatest advocate? Something significant must have happened to cause such a radical change to this man. It's quite the story, so don't go away. Tonight, Dr. Corbett opens the pages of the New Testament book of Acts to look at and introduce a series simply titled Paul. Let's join Dr. Corbett now as we meet one of the New Testament greats. We went to Hungary and we stayed there for a little while as well. We made some, some really nice friends there. And then after that, we went to Italy and we spent the last few days of our time away in Rome. As any time I go away reinforces to me how nice it is to be home. When I was in Rome, I was, and I wrote about this on Finding Truth Matters, um, I was deeply disturbed, deeply, deeply disturbed. And it, it was not, Rome I know for many people is a romantic, charming experience. It wasn't for me. Within about three or four square miles of the, the central uh, CBD of Rome, there's some 400 Roman Catholic churches, just Roman Catholic churches, 400. At times there's multiple Roman Catholic churches on the one street within a few hundred metres of each other. It's, it's a little bit bizarre. And then when you hear the history that someone was appointed some bishop of something or other and didn't have a church, had to build one, he had to build one bigger than the other bloke who was a bishop, you know, just up the road. And so you got this crazy thing. These churches are huge. So they, they would hold thousands of people and on any given Sunday they might have six to ten people maybe there. You just think, you know, this is the kind of thing that grieves me greatly. That this, this city thinks of itself as one of the most religious cities on the planet. And yet it's one of the most godless places I've ever been to. So if you think that being religious gives you points with God, uh, you're in for a great surprise. And all of that I set in motion and I have planned out through till uh, February, March or so what I'm preaching on. And I, I'd planned to preach on Paul. I felt to preach on Paul. 
before going to Rome. I, I'd never been to Rome, so this was all quite a new experience for me. And I want to perhaps draw on some of that recent experience as we look at the life of the Apostle Paul. So would you please join me in prayer now. Father, I pray not just that you'll use me right now at this time because I'm confident that your word will do what your word does. But now I pray for every person here, every person listening right now, that Father, you would speak to them. You would open their hearts. Father, none of us have to do a, a, a listening to God, hearing the voice of God seminar or course or anything like that because when you speak, we can't but hear. So now, Lord, I pray, speak. Open hearts, open minds. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul, to me, is a great example of someone who was incredibly religious, yet desperately empty. And we'll, I hope to show you why in a moment. And here's the question that I want to ask from the outset. And it sort of repeats through history time and time and time again. How did the man who set out to destroy Christianity become one of its greatest, if not its greatest, advocates? So if you didn't know anything about Paul, he's one of the most written about men in history. I think he's number three on the list uh, of, of people who have been written the most about. I think, well, Jesus Christ is the most written about man in human history. Martin Luther is not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther of the 16th century. He's the second most written about man. And the Apostle Paul is, is third, according to Google. And for good reason. This man influenced the world. Let's have a look at who this man was. Because if you're a Christian, perhaps if you're a new Christian, and you are reading through the Bible, you'll read through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and Paul doesn't get a mention. So where's he come from? Then you read Acts and we're introduced to Paul not in chapter 1, not in chapter 2, not in chapter 3, but in chapter 8 we're introduced to him. And we'll see this in a moment. If we were living at the time of Paul and we, we assume that he was born sometime around 5 BC, 5 AD, somewhere in that vicinity, um, and the reason we think that is because in Acts chapter 8, he's described as a young man. And if he was born around that time, he would have been in his 20s, maybe early 30s. And that's considered young. And particularly from my vantage point and Tony's vantage point, that's incredibly young. But if we were living around that time, we wouldn't call him Paul. We would call him Saul. In fact, if we were speaking with a Hebrew accent, it would sound something like Shaul. Shaul. And so um, that's just too hard to say on the fly. So we're going to, if we refer to him in the Hebrew name, we'll, we'll call him Saul. And that's how he's known in the early chapters of the book of Acts. Now we know this about Saul. He is Saul of Tarsus. Now if I asked you where is Tarsus and you remember that it, that it actually says that, that, that it's in a place called Cilicia. And if I was to then ask you, well, where's that? Most of us would go, I, I, don't, I don't ask him. I don't know. I, I don't know. Well, let me tell you, it's actually in Turkey. It's in southern Turkey. So this is what we know about Paul. He was a Turkish Jew. He was a Turkish Jew. Now, this 
should help us to under... I hope this will help if you know what happens and transpires in his life. This will help you to understand a couple of things about him. He grew up in an area that was incredibly cosmopolitan. Cosmopolitan means that there were people of different races, coloured skin. They spoke with different accents. Uh, they spoke... Everyone spoke Greek. That was the lingua franca. That was the language of the world. But he would have spoken, presumably, at least three, maybe four languages really well. And they would include Aramaic, would include Hebrew, Greek, because everyone had to speak Greek, and possibly Latin as well. So he was a very learned man. We'll, We'll see this. And the reason we know that he was a learned man is because he studied under someone who was considered to be one of the greatest living teachers of his day, a man by the name of Rabbi Gamaliel. And Gamaliel is mentioned in Acts chapter 5, verse 34. We see here, it says, But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honour by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. So we see this Gamaliel was the most respected teacher in Israel. So that tells us a couple of things about Paul as well, or Saul rather. This is what he says of himself, and that might be a little bit hard to see, you might see that all right, that he says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city. So brought up in Jerusalem. So born in Turkey, formative years in Turkey, but then was raised in Jerusalem according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers being zealous for God as all of you are this day. So this is very telling. This tells us a lot about the man who became Paul who started off as Saul. By the way Saul is a Hebrew name. Paul is the equivalent of that name in Greek. That's, that's the difference there. So we have this guy who tells us that he was zealous, really zealous, really passionate. What does zeal look like? It looks like you're getting to whatever your objective is, no matter what the obstacle, no matter what the cost, you're going to get there and you're determined to get there. And this is how he describes himself. Now he went to Jerusalem, he was taught and trained by Rabbi Professor Gamaliel and he also would have learnt a trade and we know he would have learnt a trade because we read later on in, in Acts that he had a trade in the category called tent making and tent making sounds like he just made tents and that is perhaps a, a little bit narrow because it means essentially he was a worker in leather and the, the tents that they would have had then weren't like our nylon polyester tents they were leather and that was that was what they had and they weren't these little you know things you put on your back you put you know all six pieces of it on two or three camels and so Paul was a, a worker in leather and he says, in what it says, Dr. Luke, his um, friend, and uh, Dr. Luke was a Gentile who became Paul's, arguably Paul's greatest admirer, says in Acts chapter 18, when, he, when Paul met up with two other Jews in Corinth, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, or Aquila and Priscilla, uh, a husband and wife, it says, and because he was of the same trade, 
tent making. He stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. And the reason Paul would have had a trade as well is because around that time, the hardcore Pharisees, who were the rabbis, you had to be a Pharisee to be a rabbi, uh, they believed that it was wrong to take money from the synagogue to live on. They just didn't do that. They thought that was not right. And so they would have a job as well as be the rabbi on the Sabbath. So if we were to use some words to describe Saul, we would say he was a proud Jew. And we would definitely say he was a proud Jew because he says he was a proud Jew. And so we have already seen out of his mouth comes the word zealous. I was zealous. So he was zealous, passionate about all things Jewish and all things regarding being a religious Jew. So he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So you get the, get the impression about this guy. Um, some people read this sort of thing and think he may not have been the easiest guy to have lived with, which may not surprise any woman here that he spent the rest of his life as single. Anyway, um, just a point there for some guys just to take note of. Circumcised on the eighth day, he says, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal. Here's this word that he chooses to use again, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law. He says, I was blameless so this is a really humble guy <laughs> you get the picture this this guy's a confident brash young man and he's making the case that that he was a jews jew he was someone who kept the law and kept it perfect now i want you to just dwell on that for a moment because we're going to get an insight into this guy in a moment where he actually says all the while I was saying that to people on the inside I was not feeling it so we'll see that in a moment and I think there are people here who also are here right now and on the outside you look okay in fact most of you look really nice really pleasant people some of you are displaying really good personal hygiene and that's wonderful that's just but some of you are feeling empty you have questions that nag you like what's this all about where where am i going what am i doing this for and these questions nag at the core of your soul how else would we describe Saul, well, he describes himself as very religious. He's very religious. And for some of us who distinguish Christianity from religion, and I understand the distinction, we, we might see that as a, if someone described us as religious, we, we might actually feel insulted. And that might surprise someone who's not acquainted with going to church regularly because 
you would think that we of all people would, would, would wear that as a badge of honour when in fact we, we don't really because we see religion as just outward form. We see it as looking good and we see it as trying to impress people with how well you can pray or you know, read your Bible. Jews had this thing that they wore as a strap that's on their right forearm and it wrapped around to their right wrist and it had uh, a leather cube box on here and inside was written all of the verses of the first five books of the Bible that you could fit in and the, and the bigger your pouch the more spiritual everyone thought you were and if you're really wanting to show people you wouldn't wear it here you'd actually wear it around your head so it stood out like this and you can actually you can Google search these pictures where you've got Jew, you know hardcore strict Orthodox Jews today, and they wear these leather boxes on the front, and the bigger their box, the more scripture they've learned, the more of the first five books of the Bible they've memorized, and supposedly that makes them look more spiritual. Well, Paul would have had a phylactery. He would have had a phylactery. I know he had a phylactery because he went into the temple and changed money and they wouldn't even look at you if you didn't have a phylactery on. You couldn't buy or sell if you didn't have that in the, in the temple precinct. So clearly he was described as, he could be described as someone who was very religious. Acts 21 verse 26, this is Paul coming back to Jerusalem and he's just had a conversation with James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, and James has said to him, Paul, there are people in this city that want to kill you because you think you've denied your, your Jewishness and people think that you are telling people that being a Jew is of no value and people think that you're saying all kinds of things against being Jewish. So this is what I advise you, Paul. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was then the, the leader of the, the church in Jerusalem. He tells Paul, take these four men who are prepared to make a ceremonial vow and the ceremonial vow was that they would go to the temple and they would shave their head and that would be a picture of, of commitment for a period of time and uh, you, have to, you had to make a, a financial offering so you had to change your money from Roman money into the temple money and, and so Paul had to go through all those things so this is what James says to him then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temples that's purifying that's the ceremonial washing we talked a little bit about that earlier giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them now this is Paul after he's been a Christian missionary for some time so there's no doubt about it he was someone who was prepared to do religious things and he maintained some of these things even as a cultural ritual even though he felt there was no spiritual value in any of it so this is we, we could also see that Paul here could easily I mean easily be described as someone who was very committed to what he believed when he he says this is how committed I was anyone who believed differently I would drag them out of their houses if, if they were a Jew I would drag them out of the houses I would beat them up and then I would stone them to death that's commitment and he says that's how committed I was and we don't know how many people he was responsible for their deaths we don't know the number and it's a number it's not like it was none because in Acts chapter 8 
we have the example of one case. And it says right at the end of that, as we'll, we'll see, well, actually, let's, let's go to this. In, in Acts, the, the last part of Acts chapter 7, we, we see this. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. This was Stephen. And the witnesses laid down their garments. Now, they laid down their garments, usually at the one orchestrating the execution. And this is what it says. They laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So here you have Saul, and he's like, you know, let's go and get the next one, boys. Let's, let's, let's keep going. In fact, we know that was his attitude because immediately after this, it says that he sought letters of recommendation, letters of commendation from the high priest from the Sanhedrin, actually, which was the Jewish council, giving him permission to now go and do this, not just in Jerusalem, but in a, in a, in a town called Damascus, which was a, a bit of a day trip to the north. And so we'll pick up on that story next week. So here I want you to get the picture of who Saul, who became Paul, and we'll look at that next week as well, what kind of guy this man was. He was someone who says, I'm blameless, I'm faultless, I've kept the law perfectly. I keep every aspect of the ceremonial and ritual and sacrificial law. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I do everything I can. And why did he do it? Because he was trying to please God. I want you to see also, and I'll show you this by, out of his, basically his own mouth, that despite this, despite being a very proud Jew, Saul could also be described, and he was described by himself, during this time, as very empty. In fact, we're going to see in, in Acts um, that when he encounters Christ, Jesus calls him out on it. And he uses an expression, Saul, Saul, which is how Hebrews said, give me your full attention, repeating the name twice. It's very difficult for you to continue to kick against the goads. And he's describing, Jesus is describing his conscience. He looks straight into, pierces his soul, looks right into his soul and says, Saul, you know there's something wrong. You know there's something missing. You have an ache that only I can fill. And you've been trying and trying and trying to convince yourself otherwise. And so we read later on. When Paul has converted to Christianity, he's encountered Christ, that he reflects on this time. In Romans chapter 7, he says this, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. So all the while he was saying, I keep the law perfectly, I'm blameless, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, actually, I was dropping the ball left, right and centre. I was doing things I didn't want to do. I was botching it up so bad I didn't want anyone to know because I still wanted to maintain the facade, <laughs> the act that I was someone who I wasn't. He goes on, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me hmm. that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. This is his, his story where he says, I was trying to be so religious and it wasn't working. I couldn't do it. Acts chapter 7 verse 24, 
He says, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Because he knew that if what he was doing was wrong, it's called sin, that that sin is in relation to the one that injures, as I mentioned before. And the one that injured was God and the ultimate justice. He knew because he, he was carrying out what he thought to be justice against people who were doing the very thing that he felt he was doing was death. And so he says, I am condemned to death. And no one knew at the time what I was really going through. Who could deliver me from this? That was the ache of his heart just before he met Christ. Hmm. Someone zealous, someone religious, someone committed, but someone empty. How would people describe you? I've described you as you all look like beautiful people. You look like you got it all together. You, you people probably haven't got a problem in the world. Look at you. Happy, smiling. Not a problem in the world. That's how people might describe you. But are you? Are you empty? We sang the song, I Come to the Altar. Beautiful song, beautiful song. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin. Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The eternal one paid the eternal price. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today. There's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Her come to the altar. The Father's arms open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Christ. Her come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. If you have had your emptiness satisfied because you've heard Jesus calling, come. Let me fill you. Let me take away your guilt and your shame and your brokenness and your regrets and forgive you. If that's your story, would you do me a favour? Would you please stand right now? If you have accepted Christ as your Lord, your Saviour, the one who has filled the emptiness of your soul. I'm not going to make a big deal about this, but if you would like Jesus to be your Saviour, and you would like him to fill the ache in your soul. And you would like that emptiness and those nagging things that are troubling you on the inside that no one knows about. And you want Jesus to come and meet you. Look at these people who've all said, I did. And it's true. It's not just religion. You have in this moment an opportunity to have your aching heart and soul healed. He can put Humpty Dumpty back together again.
He can mend what is broken, fix what is hurting, and make you a brand new person. And if you want that right now, I'm going to pray for you. You can stand and receive forgiveness with God that brings peace with him for eternity. Father, I thank you so much for all those who've stood. All those who have said yes to you. Yes, Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. I recognize that there is nothing good in me and I need you. And I thank you, Lord, for those who have just now stood and said, Jesus, you are offering me forgiveness and a brand new start. I say, yes, thank you. And if that's your prayer right now, you have just embarked on the journey of a lifetime, a brand new day. And so, Father, I pray for everyone who is now standing, that, Lord, every person here might experience the peace of God, the love of God, and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. God bless you. Let's have tea and coffee together. For a CD copy or premium download of tonight's discussion, please go to our website, findingtruthmatters.org, and select Paul Part 1 from the online store. As we've heard tonight, Saul was a very proud Jew, but when he met Jesus, his life was revolutionised. He went from being a man known by his Hebrew name Saul, a very religious but a very empty man, to one known by his Greek name Paul, a passionate follower of Jesus and fulfilled. It begs the question, are you empty? Have you met Jesus? More from Dr. Corbett next week with Paul, part two. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.